welcome to a special edition of Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. You hear that music, right? That's not our usual music. It's a, a little somber. This is our special edition, every edition special, let's, let's be honest, but uh, of the uh, remembering uh, the life and the memorial of George Herbert Walker Bush. I was out there in front of the National Cathedral for about 27 hours uh, or so, <laughs> it only seemed, um, you know, for, 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 this, for this really amazing memorial. I, I mean, truly, truly a, 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 a moment in history and I think an mo- important point in our politics. Washington stands still for presidential funerals. And it seems to me this one even more than most, and they're obviously, they don't happen that often, but this one particularly maybe because of the hype tenor of our, of our politics right now, it felt like the nation needed this. Uh, and it's been a, a heartening and edifying and, and special several days remembering the 41st president of the United States. And to, to my mind, John, uh, we, we casually throw around terms like end of an era, but this actually feels like it. This feels like closing a chapter of American history uh, while we're still writing a, a very uncertain next chapter. And the thing that struck me about this memorial at the National Cathedral was you had some of the biggest political figures of our lifetimes there, all assembled under one roof, some of whom had been bitter rivals, some of whom allies, some of whom were rivals who turned into allies. You had Bob Dole and uh, uh, Bill Clinton, Jimmy Carter. Uh, You had um, George W. Bush, obviously Jeb Bush in the same room with President Donald Trump. Um, But this was a, I thought, profoundly non-political event in in, in serious contrast to the the, um, memorial for John McCain. This seemed to be almost completely devoid of politics. And we know that this is exactly the way that George H.W. Bush wanted it. He felt like it was an important statement to include the current president of the United States, uh, notwithstanding the very complicated family relationships between the presidents and the president's club and the first ladies. And to my mind, it was a it was a heartening reminder of what the country is still capable of, to take this moment to remember uh, a leader, um, his generation, a generation of leaders, uh, a, a moment in our not-so-distant past that feels like it was a really long time ago right now. And I had agreed, John, that this it felt separate from our political moment. It felt separate from anything going on in politics. And there is something profoundly moving and and patriotic and maybe uplifting as an American to see those presidents uh, and generations of ambitious politicians, as you say, rivals, friends, enemies, frenemies, every iteration, all together in one place, saying very similar things about a true gentleman in George H.W. Bush. I first met him in 1989. I had come to Washington uh, at an internship at National Journal, and they invited in a group of uh, news college newspaper editors uh, to come in to meet the president. I was like surprised wow. by this and and I, I came into the Roosevelt Room, a room that I've now been in so many times as as a White House reporter, but I'd never, I'd never been into the White House before. And um, and I remember, um, you know, first seeing him walk into that room, and, he, and you know, he's um, quite a he, he he was he was a guy that 
could instantly put you at ease. He was the president of the United States. He's a college student. You're in awe. Um, but um, but 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 a uh, you know a, a a guy who for all his you know the, the, somebody who came into the White House with the probably the greatest resume of any president. Um, you know, from the patrician family, he's got all the, you know, the, but, uh, you know, just it seemed like a genuinely good person. And, and you hear that in a lot of the reminiscences. And I'll say about the, the example that he set, I never met him. And um, it's because you're so much older than me, John, that you had this, this great opportunity. <laughs> I, I was 12 at the time. 12 years old. I, mean. I, I did. He was the first politician, or first president I ever saw speak in public, though. I saw him at, a, at, at an event in Texas that I happened to be at. Uh, and and just having that and that moment stands out in my mind for all of the political speeches that I've seen and the presidents that I've met and been fortunate enough to to cover over the years, he was so, for lack of a better word, presidential. He embodied that office. He embodied that job. And and then leading through uh, tumultuous times, uh, ec- tumultuous economic times, tumultuous national security times, the the fall of the Berlin Wall, the re- the rebuilding of Europe, and of course the Gulf War. Uh, leading through a, a brief military campaign that at the time was the the first armed conflict the United States had been in, in uh, since since Vietnam, you you look back at this time and and recognize that yes, a one term president, uh, yes, uh, a, a rather uneventful in terms of some of the some of the the successors that we've seen in terms of the day to day of that uh, of of his of his presidency, but man, a lot happened and a lot didn't happen that could have happened. Thought of things could have gone wrong that didn't. Do you see what I'm wearing? He's got so- are those colorful socks, John? I've got I've got like I've got like the George H. W. Bush socks. And I'll you, confirm and, that for our for our, yeah, our audio just, audience. You see what what's on them? Large baseballs. Baseballs. You're was he the best baseball player ever to uh, serve in the uh, in the Oval Office? I think there's a very strong case that he was among the best athletes and probably the best baseball player. Uh, there's a, a very famous picture of him from 1948 uh, with uh, one gentleman named Babe Ruth in his final months. Uh, he was uh, presenting an award to the Yale baseball team. In yep. 1948. Uh, it's just but a he piece. Was a, he was a great. He was a great baseball. He player. was a great baseball player. A, 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 a great athlete. A great fan of the game. Um, he he was someone that recognized the history of the game. Um, I, I recall a, a story where he uh, decided to award uh, the Congressional Medal of Freedom to Joe DiMaggio and Ted Williams. Uh, and it happened at the same time. It happened to be the only time, to my knowledge, that Ted Williams decided to wear a tie in public. Yeah. But I learned years later from his former chief of staff that the real reason that uh, that they decided to award them simultaneously was that they had engineered a way that they would just get the two of them alone on Air Force One for several hours. And it yeah. was Ted Williams and John Sununu, yeah. the chief of staff, along with DiMaggio and Ted Williams for that yeah. long flight. Yeah, I'd, I'd do whatever I pull out the stops. Um, right. So I want to go through some of the, the highlights of, of this service. Uh, and then in a few minutes, we're going to be joined by Cokie Roberts, um, obviously a uh, great political historian and somebody who really got to know uh, uh, 41 over the years. Uh, but the... Let's start with John Meacham, who, you know, W, I mean, H.W. never wrote an autobiography. Right. But what he did do is he did turn to John Meacham and said, you know, I'm going to fully cooperate uh, on, on, on a biography. I'm going to give you complete access to, to my journals, to my letters. Um, and, and he was a, I mean, he, he, he wrote a lot. And, um, and Meacham got tremendous insight came away as a as a uh with 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 a real admiration of of the bush presidency and i think there i think we can debate how consequential i think there's been a little right. bit of um 
you know, as happens at these moments, there, you know, we 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 perhaps, um, you know, we we go a little too far in our uh, in our praise of of, of you know of, of a presidency in this point. But but I, but Mitchum gave, I think, a, a terrific eulogy. Um, let's just start with what he had to say about uh, about Dana Carvey. As Dana Carvey said, the key to a Bush 41 impersonation is Mr. Rogers trying to be John Wayne. And, and I love that. And, and what I like, what I, one of the things I loved about this uh, memorial was the humor that went throughout all of it. Right. Right, and the, this was the, not a somber. This was not a somber funeral service, and and not the way that George H. W. Bush would have wanted it. Famously, uh, after that uh, 1992 campaign, where George H. W. Bush was voted out of office, Bill Clinton wins. The Dana Carvey impersonations had already been locked in the American consciousness. Uh, we all hear "Not gonna do it." We hear it in our heads even now. Uh, he he invited Dana Carvey himself to the White House to perform. Uh, yeah, in in, yeah. in December of 1992. So. Um, now, like I said, Meacham came away as a real, you know, I mean, really pumping up the uh, the, the significance of 41's presidency. And I think there's there are a lot of underappreciated things that we, we would appreciate more in hindsight. His failure to take out Saddam Hussein looks a lot less like a failure when you see what happened when we did take out Saddam Hussein. Um, but um, I kind of wonder if Meacham might have gone a little too far. Take a listen to this. Abraham Lincoln's better angels of our nature and George H.W. Bush's Thousand Points of Light are companion verses in America's national hymn. I'm prepared to talk about what a great human being George Herbert Walker Bush was, uh, what an incredible life was. Uh, he, he had um, prepared to say that uh, his presidency has, was underappreciated in real time, but I'm not prepared to compare him to Abraham Lincoln. Not with thousand points of light. And certainly not his rhetoric. I, and I, I don't <laughs> I mean, think George H.W. Bush would have himself put that comparison up, uh, partly out of his humility and his recognition of his own flaws as a politician. I, I, I think, if anything, we remember him for sometimes the failure to communicate as adequately as he wanted to. Uh, the vision thing, as he once said, uh, one message of the things that he was lacking. That's right. Message. I, so, I, I, look, I, I think we will remember this presidency for lots of reasons, and, and certainly in part for what followed it and this and this current political moment that we're in now. Uh, I do. I, I think, though, a, a Lincoln-esque speech that was not. So the I think that the the, the sleeper speech eulogy uh, today was from Senator Alan Simpson, who I know you got to know uh, uh, here. You know, in his in his in his last years as a senator. One of the funniest guys in Washington. I mean, just just a genuine wit, and really grew somebody who grew incredibly close uh, to, um, uh, to to George H. W. Bush. They had family connections. All, all you know, really close. Their dads but were their dads served dads, in Congress. To, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, but what what I didn't know is that uh, um, the the whole story about Simpson endorsing Reagan. So when Bush called him for story, I'm sorry, I already endorsed the guy you're running against in '80. I mean that uh, that's pretty tough. But but let's uh, let's start with a little Alan Simpson. He loved a good joke. The richer, the better. And he'd throw his head back and give that great laugh. But he never, ever, could remember a punchline. <laughs> and I mean never.
<laughs> that's what was so great. I mean, Simpson's speech was funny, but it wasn't like this, uh, you know, deification of George H.W. Bush. It was about his friend and his, and his flaws and his, you know, his quirks. I mean, you know. Yeah, and the, there was it, no comparing it, Abraham Lincoln in that speech, and 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 appreciating a, a, a dirty joke every once in a while. That's that, that's part of the of the George H. W. charm. I do think that there were so many different versions of H. W. that you saw on display at the memorial service. You hear about him as a father, as a uh, as a as a war hero, as a CIA director, as the RNC chair, as a member of Congress, ambassador to China. All of these in- incredible different careers he had. It was interesting to me to as see. As he said at one point, I was a former former government employee. That's what he said when he went to his 50th <laughs> uh, reunion at uh, um, at Yale, <laughs> pretty it's what, a, a pretty great a pretty great epitaph. But I think all of those there were there were flashes of each of them in in uh, in the speeches that we heard today. And, and and one more from Alan Simpson. He never hated anyone. He knew what his mother and my mother always knew: hatred corrodes the container it's carried in. Just that's the serious part of the speech. Yes, and and it's true. I mean, we got mocked sometimes for the kinder, gentler you know, notion, but this was a kinder, gentler memorial. And I, I, I think that the, the speech that really touched it for me was from 43, uh, George, George uh, W. Bush. Uh, by the way, this was the third time he had eulogized a deceased president. He was there for Reagan. He was there for Ford. Mm-hmm. Very different this time. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about that speech with the great Cokie Roberts. Do you spend the night tossing and turning? Are you dealing with a stiff neck and back for months? If you're struggling to get a good night's sleep, you've got to try a Purple Mattress. The Purple Mattress will probably feel different than anything you've ever experienced because it uses a new material developed by an actual rocket scientist. The Purple Mattress feels very unique because it's both firm and soft, so it keeps everything supported while still feeling really comfortable. Plus, it's breathable, so it sleeps cool. Try your Purple Mattress with a 100-night risk-free trial, and if you're not fully satisfied, you can return it for a full refund. Your Purple Mattress is backed by a 10-year warranty, free shipping, and returns. You're going to love Purple, and right now our listeners will get a free Purple Pillow with the purchase of a mattress. Just text POWERHOUSE to 474747. The only way to get this free pillow is to text POWERHOUSE to 474747. Message and data rates may apply. All right, welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. We are joined by Koki Roberts. Thank you for uh, so for joining us. So good to be with you guys. Um, absolutely uh, remarkable memorial. Beautiful in every way. Uh, beautiful religious service, beautiful citizenship service, uh, great tribute to a man who we've all gotten to know a lot better during this week. Um, and the uh, the eulogies were quite, I mean, Brian Mulroney had to talk about <laughs> Brian Mulroney. <laughs> How do you end up with a former Canadian prime minister on your short list? You know, you plan I, this stuff for years. I guess they got to be very good friend, yeah. friends. But um, 
but um, and Alan Simpson always delivers. Um, he's so funny, and and of course John Meacham has been a beautiful writer and very very close to the family. I know that John Meacham actually went to the hospital and delivered his eulogy for Barbara Bush to Barbara Bush, so because she didn't want to miss it. But <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know whether he did the same for George Bush, but um, he apparently has had it you know in the. In the can for a couple of years with just some additions made, but he's such a beautiful writer. But we've got to say that the eulogy by the president's son was extraordinary and so hard to do. I mean, you're not just a a son, which is hard because those are personal stories and it's emotional. You're a president and you have to be presidential and tell stories that are presidential stories as well. And that is a really tough job. And George W. Bush is not known for his oratory, but he did, a, I think, a very good job. He's not known for his oratory. At the same time, he has delivered some of some of the gr- best presidential speeches uh, the, 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 of my lifetime. Um, and one of them right there in that in that national cathedral three days after 9-11. And every time we showed the picture today of him coming back to his seat and his dad grabbing his hand, everybody in the studio just welled up with tears. Yeah. No. Absolutely amazing. So so let's play a little bit from W's speech. Uh, There was this, what what I liked is he also captured uh, 41's later years, Mm -hmm. including this great story uh, about, uh, well, with James Baker. Take take a listen. (laughs) In his 90s, he took great delight when his closest pal, James A. Baker, smuggled a bottle of Grey Goose vodka into his hospital room. Apparently, it paired well with the steak Baker had delivered from Morton's. (laughs) It's a great story. James Baker, at that moment, burst into tears. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you saw the camera shot to him, and he yeah. just lost it. Yeah. And who wouldn't? I mean, they've been friends for so long. And, you know, that's one of the things that we're not good about in this society is honoring the mourning of friends. You know, we we're, we understand when you lose a spouse or you lose a parent, and especially if you lose a child. But a friend is also an enormous loss, and uh, and they've been such incredible friends for so long. And W kept it together. Till the very end. Until the very end. So through our tears, let us know the blessings of knowing and loving you, a great and noble man, the best father a son or daughter could have. And in our grief, let us smile knowing that dad is hugging Robin and holding mom's hand again. Who could get through that without crying? Mm-hmm. I certainly couldn't, mm-hmm. and uh, and it was completely sincere and appropriate. Um, uh, the fact is, I uh, interviewed Laura Bush quite recently, and they had gone to Kennebunkport for the sort of surprise secret wedding of Barbara Bush, and Barbara wanted to get married there so her grandfather would be there. And that was just, what, the beginning of November or end of October, somewhere around there. And um, and she said to me, we all kissed him goodbye. We thought that it was probably the last time we were going to see him. I was watching George W. Bush's speech on a number of different levels. And he is now the only living Republican president, former Republican president. And his presidency is smack dab in the middle of— Not necessarily former Republican 
right, mm. Republican former president. <laughs> well, maybe I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, even John won't disagree with this math though. Forty-three is in between forty-one and forty-five. It's there exactly in between, and and. Right. The, the presence, the, the presence, though, of 45 was kind of an elephant in the room. It was wa- watching the body language, watching him interact or not interact with the other people in the room was, of course, fascinating. And it looked like Bill Clinton was a little bit awkward. He was looking to get his eye. Hillary Clinton didn't even look in the direction of President Trump. And then you have W get up there and, and talk about his dad. But to my mind, also talk about his era and and to my mind, also talk about what his dad was in some form of contrast. When you talk about him as an empathetic man, when you talk about him and his capacity for for leadership and learning and, and understanding, you can't help but think, I couldn't help but think that it was a statement there, as many of the remembrances have been, about President Trump. What, what, what was your read on that? I don't think that's entirely the case because I think that you you have to say these things about George H. W. Bush. They're the facts. They're his story. That's that's what you'd say. With or without it's, Trump. What? With or without Trump. I mean, with or without yeah, Trump, exactly. Yeah. Now, do we then listen to that and and draw a comparison? Sure we do. And is the comparison favorable to the president? No, it's not. Um, but that's not what today was about. Um, and President Trump, as John has pointed out throughout this coverage, has done everything he should have done as president, as as the first lady. They have behaved. They have behaved. And, um, and that's, I think, the whole country is probably breathing a great sigh of relief that that is the case. That's what we want our presidents to do. Um, but sure, the contrast is there, and uh, they, they could not be more different men. They just could not. Uh, I did have the occasion. I saw President H.W. Bush at the end of August and had a lovely little visit with him. Um, and I said to him, you know how your mo- you always say your mother taught you not to brag? And he smiled, and I said, Donald Trump's mother didn't teach him that. And, and, and he got a big laugh out of that. But um, but uh, the truth is that what we've seen this week is not a surprise, but it is it has been amazing at the just breadth and depth of it. Every single uh, encomium was basically a thank you note to George Bush, the writer of thank you notes. Um, it was one after another. I don't care what the institution was. They had some story of something he had done for them that you had never heard of. It was he had never bragged about it. He had never talked about it. You know, the Human Genome Product Project, NIH, was so grateful. You know, uh, Mayo Clinic saying, you know, he gave us the house at Walker Point every summer so we could we could instruct about our our vision for health care. Um, the Constitution Center, I had no notion about this, and I deal a lot with those people. Um, saying, you know, we were in terrible shape. We we prevailed upon him in his 80s to become chairman of the board, and he saved the place. I mean, over and over. And then the personal notes, you know, he stood by my, when my son was dying from cancer. He, he stopped on the way into the convention speech and delayed it because he had heard I had a sick child. I mean, just one after another of these personal acts of kindness. Uh, just today in the studio, uh, Mark Updegrove, who was um, at that point the head of the LBJ Library, was applying for a different job. 
and he was talking to President Bush about it. And unbeknownst to Mark, the president finds out the name of the chairman of the board and writes a letter of recommendation. <laughs> you know, and and that's what we've been hearing all week is just one act after another of selflessness, of kindness, of generosity. And of course you do draw a comparison. So describe that moment and what you saw when the current president, when forty five came in and took took his seat next to the, the Trumps, right next to the Obamas, next to the Clintons, next to the Carters. It was, as you said earlier today, it just froze everything. Uh, everybody had been sort of visiting with each other. It's hard to visit down a row, but they had been visiting with each other and clearly chatting and enjoying each other's company. And uh, uh, then in walked the Trumps, and it just became silent. And uh, And as you said, staring ahead, Hillary Clinton wouldn't even... I mean, she was not in the same pew as far as she was concerned. Um, and you can understand that. He was not exactly kind to her. But um, but it was it was clearly a different moment. Not one of those ex-presidents, including the one in the casket, had voted for Donald Trump. I mean, that's a statement. Yep. And, um, and so that, you know, they were all uncomfortable, as was he. It strikes me that we, we talk about journalism as a first draft of history. And... I've thought about these moments uh, around presidential funerals as kind of a, a big second draft, mm-hmm. and and it, it feels like we've been reassessing the the forty first presidency pretty thoroughly over the last couple of couple of days. And there are a lot of things that are said off the bat about him being a one term president, about um, his his famous lack of vision and uh, lack of uh, articulation in, in putting things out and uh, defined in some ways by not winning that second term as any one term president is uh, defined by an economy that was failing by the end about it seemed like an out of touch person by the end. What what's your mind? Uh, what have you learned about this this rewriting? And what do you feel like history is going to be saying about HW as a result of this this exercise we're going through right now? Some of the rewriting is accurate and some of it isn't. Uh, And um, I mean, I I kept hearing people yesterday after the incredibly touching moment when Bob Dole was lifted from his chair and gave a little salute about their old friendship. They weren't friends. (laughs) They they were enemies. And uh, and it wasn't until they were in their 90s that they reconciled. Um, and uh, so, you know, we, we get these things wrong. Um, I, I've heard a huge amount this week about bipartisanship. Now, the truth is, George, Bush was, <laughs> George Bush was president for four years. Yeah. He vetoed 44 bills uh, passed by an overwhelmingly Democratic Congress. Barack Obama, eight years, 12 bills. George W. Bush, eight years, 12 bills. This is not a sign of bipartisanship. And actually, only one of his vetoes was overridden, and that was on cable TV. Mm-hmm. But, um, but the truth is, what he, what he didn't ever do, ever, was demonize the opposition. They were the opposition, not the enemy. Well, I mean, Willie um, Horton. Well, but that was, that was not demonize. That, that's, a, that's a different way of, of, first of all, he was campaigning, not governing. Right. And he drew a great distinction. Right. But that's, 
I mean, that that is a low campaign blow, but he's not saying Michael Dukakis is an evil man who should not be engaged in the political process. And that's what you're hearing today, that people feel that the person on the other side is the enemy and, and has bad intentions. And that's not— Wants to hurt the country. And that, none of that was his in his makeup at all. Should be locked up. Should be locked up, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, when he asked Bob Strauss to be um, chairman, of the, uh, to go to Russia, to be the first ambassador to the new Russia, Strauss said, you know, I've never voted for you for anything, George. Former, <laughs> Former DNC, Democratic. Yeah. Actually, Bush told me a very funny story about him and Strauss. They were very close friends. And at the point when Bush was chairman of the Republican National Committee, which he hated, he hated the job. Um, Strauss was chairman of the Democratic National Committee. And Bush tried to clean up this story to tell it to me. Um, (laughs) But um, he said, Strauss says to him, it's like making love to a gorilla. And Bush says, what? And he says, you can't stop till the gorilla stops. Koki, what? But I didn't. I, that whole long thing. I didn't answer <laughs> your question. I just said the inaccuracies. I think that there's going to be a lot more recognition of how he handled the end of the Cold War, which is really the end of a centuries-long war, and um, I mean from the First World War on. And uh, his way of handling it really did bring about a peaceful resolution to what could have been a disastrous situation. And that had everything to do with his personality and character. The fact that he did not need to dance on that wall and did not need to take credit for what had happened and did not say, me, 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 pay attention to me, it's all about me, made all the difference in the world when it came to the unification of Germany inside of NATO. And uh, and the peace that reigned um, for most of the time since then in most of Europe. Koki, I want to ask about the Bush dynasty and, and political dynasties in their place. It, tr- the rise of Trump in, in a lot of ways was a re- repudiation of dynasties, beating the Bush clan and then the Clinton clan. And I think this country's had a love-hate relationship with its dynasties for a long time. Um, George W. Bush today became the first president ever a former president ever to, to eulogize his late president father, John Quincy Adams, actually didn't learn about his father's death until days later. He was already buried by that time. So a little bit, a little bit of history for our dynasties these days. But is and, and, and Benjamin Harrison never got to eulogize uh, William Henry Harrison. I mean, right, right. <laughs> grandpa, right, grandpa. Yeah, yeah, I know. But you know, I was like, so, <laughs> but the, the outpouring of affection, as I've seen it, for the Bush family and the reminiscences of the Bush family, the Bush family has been part of Americans' lives for decades now. And there seems to be a, a reassessment of that dynasty in light of the, the last few years, maybe the last the, this current presidency in particular. What is the state of the Bush dynasty in history as of today's speaking? Well, I think it's probably much enhanced. Some of that has to do with Barbara Bush. And people came to really love Barbara Bush. And uh, and so the whole family became sort of uh, halo enwrapped. Um, You know, there will be many assessments of George W. Bush along the way, and some will be favorable and a lot will be unfavorable. Uh, So, you know, I think that the dynasty, it's always a tough word, but um, but the family 
basically will have a position in the country of being a family that cares about public service. George P. Bush, the, the grandson, Jeb's son, is now in public office in Texas and clearly has his, his, his eye on the prize. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it will be eulogizing his grandfather tomorrow in Texas. Uh, but uh, I think that, you know, when you really are fair and honest about these families, uh, what they are about, by and large, is public service. And in the case of George H.W. Bush, there's a certain noblesse oblige to it. But, uh, but he, did, he did believe that service was all important and conveyed that to his children. Well, on that note, we know you have a plan to catch to New York. Cokie <laughs> right. Roberts, thank you for joining us. Yeah. We feel truly <laughs> blessed to have you here to talk oh, us through moments like this. Have the old lady come in and remember the day. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, great to be with you guys. Thank you. All Take right, care. talk to you soon. All right. Well, Rick, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the last word. <laughs> I don't want the last word. I want to give <laughs> the last word to the Bushes. 41 and, and 43. Good idea. That's Senior classy executive, Poobah producer, Trevor Hastings. Oh, has, Trevor Hastings. He's done something really creative in, uh, in, in editing together um, s- some, uh, some sound from today and from many yesterdays ago. So what I want to do before we play this sound is I want to say we are going to say goodbye now because I think this truly should be the last word of the podcast. So with this closing montage, this piece of artwork combining the words of 43 and 41 created by our senior executive producer Trevor Hastings and his entire staff uh, will be will be the last word for powerhouse politics we will see you again next week when the history books are written they will say that George H.W. Bush was a great president of the United States a diplomat of unmatched skill a commander-in-chief of formidable accomplishment and a gentleman who executed the duties of his office with dignity and honor. In his inaugural address, the 41st President of the United States said this, We cannot hope only to leave our children a bigger car, a bigger bank account. We must hope to give them a sense of what it means to be a loyal friend, a loving parent. A citizen who leaves his home, his neighborhood, and town better than he found it. What do we want the men and women who work with us to say when we are no longer there? That we were more driven to succeed than anyone around us. Or that we stopped to ask if a sick child had gotten better and stayed a moment there to trade a word of friendship. Well, Dad, we're going to remember you for exactly that and much more. And we're going to miss you. Your decency, sincerity, and kind soul will stay with us forever. So through our tears, let us know the blessings of knowing and loving you, a great and noble man, the best father a son or daughter could have. And in our grief, let us smile knowing that dad is hugging Robin and holding mom's hand again. <laughs>